0: There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen, so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander.
2: All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations
0: And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
4: What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. Move the sticks, and Buck, I, I haven't been
5: traded. Have you been traded? <laughs> no, I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still hanging, um, you know. But I keep looking at the phone, wondering if any day now I'm gonna get that call and say, "Hey, please report <laughs> to the office."
4: <laughs> yeah, man, Crazy. wild, uh, wild day there. Trades at the NFL, man. We're gonna have fun talking about Jalen Ramsey, Marcus Peters, uh, those moves that were made. Uh, we also saw Corbett get traded to the Rams as they try and beef up their offensive line. Busy day on the phone there uh, for Les sneed. A bunch of other names floating around there, pretty intriguing as well. So we we'll have some fun talking about those recent trades. One of our, uh, you know, one of the guys we've both been discussing a lot lately, you know, off off the mic, and we are fascinated by. You know, culture builders, team builders, and guys that just know how to get it done no matter where they are. And Matt Rule, uh, who inherited a complete mess, there at Baylor has this team undefeated and uh, really turned this thing around in quick fashion, Buck. So we've been talking a lot about him and we're pumped to have him on the show today. Get to visit with him.
5: Yeah, no, it should be exciting. I I really want to kind of dig into him because this is the second time he's done it. He did it at Temple. uh, Obviously coined the phrase Temple Tough. And then he go to Baylor and to inherit what was left behind by Art Browse and the scandal and the situation there. To then get those guys up and going after starting, what, 1-10, 1-11, and then finding a the team that is 6 and 6-0 now uh, speaks volumes about his ability to understand culture and how to rebuild a team.
4: Uh, No doubt. And we're also going to have hits and misses, as we've been uh, doing recently. Get back to that. We're going to look at the 2015 draft. So get that in your head uh, as we get to the uh, a little bit later on in the show. We'll have some fun with hits and misses. A player I got right, a player I got wrong. Let's see if you can figure out who we're talking about. And then we'll have some uh, questions. You guys have been leaving us a ton of reviews on Apple Podcasts and dropping questions in there. Uh, So we'll do our best to answer as many of those as we can at the end of the show today. I do want to thank you guys for doing that. If you haven't already, please uh, uh, do us a solid. Get on there, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a question, drop it in there, and uh, we'll see if we can get it answered for you. All right, Buck, let's jump in first here. Jalen Ramsey, just your thoughts initially when this went down.
5: (laughs) Man, I I think this is part of the theme for this season. Um, general General managers have to make a decision. Do I value players or do I value picks? We've seen in a couple scenarios where teams have to make a decision. Would I rather get a blue-chip player that I know is a blue-chip player, or would I rather hold on to these picks in hopes of getting this same kind of player uh, down the line? And we're seeing that these teams that feel like they're close, they're close to being a, a, a title contender, they're willing to take the proven player. We saw it with the Houston Texans when they made the move for Laramie Tunsil. We saw it with uh, the Rams making this move for Jalen Ramsey. We even saw it with the Seattle Seahawks making a move for Jadavian Clowney. Teams are willing to look at what players have done in the league and they're saying, I would rather take this guy over what could be down the road and we'll see how it turns out. But I actually like this move for the Rams because I know it doesn't solve a direct issue uh, uh, that was plaguing them, but I do believe it gives them another premier player on their roster, another premier player at the position that he plays. And ultimately, when you're trying to build a championship team, the more blue chip players that you have, the better it is for you to be chasing the, the Holy Grail.
4: Well, you know, it's, it's really an interesting trade to me for a couple different reasons. Now, first of all, uh, start with what I don't love about it. What I don't love about it is while I value the corner position and think it's important you have corners, to me, I, I look at, the, at a left tackle or I look at edge rushers and I put a little more premium on that. So that, to me, um, is something I, you know, I, I don't think that position typically warrants this type of compensation in terms of a trade. So that, that's the downside of it. The analogy that I'll use, Buck, is this, you know, I'm not a big NASCAR guy. I know you grew up in North Carolina. I went to school in North Carolina. So I think we've come in contact with it at some point in time. This feels to me like they went into pit row, and they took two tires, and <laughs> then they they bounced. They're saying that is it is quality over quantity, and we want to get back on the track, and we're going to try and win this race. Now, other teams are taking a little more patient approach. They're going to get their four tires, going to fill up the tank, and they're hoping that eventually they're going to catch up and they have more sustainability. I do think there is some risk there with doing this because you've eliminated some of the, some of the picks going forward. Uh, but it is, a, it is a star league. And if you feel like you've got some star players now, can that make up for some other roster deficiencies? Um, we'll see. I, I just don't know if this offensive line, the way it's constructed right now, um, is a championship offensive line. When you look at the last couple years, look at the Eagles' offensive line loaded. Um, you look at last year, the Patriots offensive line, the way they dominated, very good group. I, I don't necessarily put this Rams group with those.
5: Look, I I, I understand where you're coming from in, in both points. Uh, you talked about the left tackle and the edge rusher, those being premier positions or, or positions that you really feel comfortable. If you're going to make a move, you go and get that. And that corner may not be as valued. I will kind of push back and say that mm-hmm. I believe that cornerback is probably more valuable now than ever. Given the shift that we're seeing quietly in the National Football League with more teams going to man to man. Um, When you look at the teams that are at the top, the New England Patriots will kind of be the gold standard because right now they are locking people up. They're playing great defense. And part of the reason they're able to play great defense because their corners can play man to man. Stephon Gilmore being the guy that's kind of leading the charge. Uh, When you look at some of these other teams that are playing really good defense, the San Francisco 49ers are playing more man to man and not blitzing bringing extra pressure the Detroit Lions are playing really good defense playing man-to-man I think the Rams are looking at the league and seeing you're not going to be able to beat these top teams playing zone coverage and even though Marcus Peters was not necessarily a zone cover guy he was a guy that preferred to play off he would give up too many completions in front of him to give the quarterback an easy way out they wanted someone that could be uh I could, could challenge the receivers more at the line of scrimmage, which is what Jalen Ramsey can do. And then when you talk about the NASCAR analogy, you talk about going to pit row and making the des- decision, do I want quality or quantity? Do I want all four done or do I just want to get two and see if we can ride this out and win the race before it all goes out? I think that's what the Rams are doing. I think that's kind of been their strategy going forward. They are going to assemble as as, as many Acquire as many blue chip players as they can, and they basically are willing to auction them off. So last year, they made the move for Marcus Peters. Everyone's like, oh, what are they going to do at the end of the deal? Well, they got rid of Marcus Peters before they ever had to deal with the end of the deal. And maybe, just maybe, for Jalen Ramsey, maybe this is just an expensive rental car. Maybe this is one where they rent, but they, they never own it. It's, it's a lease-to-own deal like you used to have to do in college when you got your furniture. They get them, maybe they keep them for a full calendar year, and then next year at this same time, maybe they spin them off and get some of those assets back if they see that they're not going to be able to re-sign them. I think what Les Snead and Sean McVay and these guys are doing is they're trying to build the best roster for the here and now. And I don't think you can argue about Jalen Ramsey being a top five player, one of the premier players at his position. It just doesn't impact or upgrade a position need, which is really that offensive line. But I don't know what else was out there for them to upgrade that outside of Trent Williams being potentially available in Washington. And if they weren't trying to make a deal, I don't know if they could go and solve that via trade.
4: I think it's interesting, though. It really is. You have teams, and it, forget the word tanking. I just think you have teams... Looking at short term, and you have teams looking at long term and how they, uh, how operating right now. It's the, you know, to me you look at that that trade with Khalil Mack, who mm-hmm. obviously the the Raiders got ripped for it. Well, the Raiders are playing the long game, and the Bears haven't got to the finish line yet. They haven't, and right now a team's not looking so great. So now you have a, a Raiders team that's collected, you know, going with the quantity over quality approach. And right now, it, the race ain't over. We don't know. You know, we know Khalil Mack's a great player, but the Bears haven't really won anything yet. They don't have a, you know, they don't have a Super Bowl title. And the Raiders are playing that long game. We'll see who, who which one of these teams has a chance to get to the finish line. It's the same thing when you look at Houston, uh, look at what Miami's doing. You know, Houston being aggressive, uh, Miami obviously being a seller, Jacksonville uh, being a seller. It's going to be interesting to watch this and monitor this. Can these guys get to the finish line with these aggressive moves?
5: Yeah, so it's funny. I had a conversation with an executive yesterday um, on a drive. We were talking about the Jalen Ramsey deal. And he said, well, what you have to do is when you're making these moves, you got to look at Jalen Ramsey versus the 2020 class and the 2021 class. You got to look ahead and see, okay, if we are the L.A. Rams and say we finish in the 20s, what potentially could be there? Would I rather have a Jalen Ramsey or player at 22 in the 2020 class? Would I rather have Jalen Ramsey or a player in the mid-20s in 2021? If I'm saying that Jalen Ramsey is a better player, then I'm willing to go all in. And look, that first pick doesn't mean as much because if we can say that Jalen Ramsey will upgrade us to the point where we're going to be one of those teams that's not only in the playoffs, but maybe we're in the Final Four. Well, now you're talking about 29, 30, 31, 32. That player is a second-round player. So to get Jalen Ramsey for essentially a second-round pick – That is a value. And so, look, all of it requires some risk. It's just a matter of what are you willing to take on when it comes to the certainty. The certainty I'm willing to bank on is I know that Jalen Ramsey is a good player. I've seen him play in this league as a great player. There are some people who are willing to bank on the projection and the potential that another player, a prospect, is going to be a really good player in the league. It's a gamble either way.
4: Yeah, no, and, and look, I, I praise the tunsil trade. I I love that move for Houston. And I, I'm 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 kind of in the middle on this one. I understand why the Rams are doing and I understand mm-hmm. how great of a player Jalen Ramsey is. So I get it. Um I, I mean I I'm just gonna reserve judgment on that one, but I do wanna speak to one other aspect of this trade, which I think we can both attest to. Mm-hmm. This sucks for your scouting staff for these teams. It sucks cuz you are away from, you're out, you're out on the road, you're away from your family and one of the things that gets you excited is every every school you go into, you think, okay, maybe I'm going to find that guy. Maybe I'm going to find that first round pick we're going to get that's going to help improve our team and there's a little more meaning to your work. Now I you know, look, there's pressure on you no doubt because you better hit on your second, third, fourth round picks. You can't afford to miss on those. But this is a Rams scouting staff buck that's going to go 5 years without a first round pick that I mean look as somebody we've done it we've been out there on the road I was in Cleveland for one one draft we didn't pick till the fourth round not till the fourth round so you're sitting out there you go out on the road you're gone all this time and you're like for who for what we don't even get to pick till the fourth round it sucks.
5: See DJ, but I, I I take I take the other part of it. Like this is really exciting for you. Like the way that I'm selling this, if you're on the road and I'm calling, How? I am I am your uh, college scouting director. I'm like, hey DJ, look. Look, I know you you heard the news. We gave up our first round pick, but guess this, this this is an opportunity for you to make your name in our building. We only have a second, a third, maybe a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh round pick. <laughs> if you can find us some players that outperform their draft status, man, that's quite a feather in your cap. Hey, be careful out there get the donuts, get the work, make sure you find us a couple hidden gems. That's how I'm spending that to you. We need you. We need you more than ever now because these picks that are normally throwaway picks, they're very valuable to us. Very valuable. Got to have it. Yeah,
4: I've been there, Buck. It sucks, okay? <laughs> it sucks when you're watching tape at a school and you're watching great players, and you're looking at everybody else and all the other scouts in the room going, well, you guys got a shot at them. We don't have any shot at Ah, them. Ah, but DJ, but, like, look. It's Alabama. It's Alabama. It's Alabama. Can we get this day over with? I got to go to Alcorn. I got to go try and find some guys that we can pick.
5: Hey, but look, we saw this with the Seattle Seahawks maybe last year, where the Seahawks entered with, what, five or six picks, if that, four or five picks, and then they parlayed those and finished with maybe 10 or 11 picks. So – there's always a chance that you're able to do it. And who knows? Maybe you trade off a good player to come back and get some of those picks. Maybe you trade off a Robert Woods or maybe a Cooper Cup or maybe one of those. I'm not saying those guys need to be traded, but maybe you trade off an asset to get some resources back so you can get in the mix. So as it is, as a so, scout, so you still got to go get, and do it. Yeah, you still got to do
4: Let me give you another reason let me give you another reason for this trade, then, because this is the point I'm talking about, and I want to tip my cap to the to uh, the scouts there for the Rams, because let's go to just one draft, 2017. Okay, mm-hmm. no first round pick. Like I said, they're going to go five years without one. They took Gerald Everett in the second round, who's really blossoming into a good football player. Uh, they came back. They took Cooper Cup in the third round. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know Cooper Cups, you know, arguably the best slot receiver in the NFL at this point in time. John Johnson in the third round, who's really turned into a really good starting safety. So those are three starting caliber players right there, uh, and then Ebu Kam in round four, who's been a you know good contributing player for them. So that's some impact guys they've got in a draft where they did not have a first round. See, I can tell you right now if they didn't have if they didn't have that success in the past. It might change the direction that they went with this bold move. So we're workshopping this thing here, Buck. I'm just I'm just workshopping this thing. This is us going through this live. Uh, yeah, I, that no, to that's... me is a great example. It's evidence to why they would do what they did.
5: It, it is evidence. And so also the other thing, because ultimately, as an evaluator, you're going to be judged by not only how the guy that you acquired played, but by how the players that the other team acquires how they perform. So now if you are looking at it and you're less need and Dave Caldwell and the Jaguars call and you want to do this deal, uh, sometimes it's maybe, hey, man, we'll do this because maybe the other team won't pick the right players and we won't get the criticism anyway. And if you go back and you really look at the Jaguars' picks, particularly their picks at the top, they haven't had a lot of home runs at they the all play the for the board. Rams, three right. of them. Right, so Dante Fowler is over there. And then you think about Jalen Ramsey. He's Blake Bortles Rams. is over there. Blake Bortles is over there. I mean, we're talking about, like, guys that were taken in so the top three five. Top five picks. Three top five picks that are supposed to, to be lights out players. You go all the way back to Justin Blackman and the like, like, they haven't knocked it out. Luke Jokel. Up. Yeah, they haven't knocked it out of the box when it comes to drafting. And so – Part of my reason in the hesitation when I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, like looking at it from their vantage point is, man, we haven't done a great job of picking these players. And now we finally pick a player that plays up to his status and we're going to let him go. What are the odds of our team, our front office being able to identify another player comparable to Jalen Ramsey that gives us what Jalen Ramsey gave us in terms of performance and production the odds are against it. Look, Charlie Castley always talks about this in the first round. It's a 50-50 proposition in terms of whether that player is going to be a significant starter that really impacts your team. So now they have two coins to flip it. The odds say that one of those guys is not going to play at a high level. The second guy might do that. I don't know, DJ, man. I man, I, I would have tried to really make this thing work with Jalen Ramsey if I could, if I'm the Jaguars.
4: And last thing, and then we'll, we'll move on to the other trade here. But... Uh... I don't know if people know this about Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey obviously went to Florida State. Do you know where he was committed for the longest time before he went to Florida State?
5: No, where? Is USC. He?
4: he was committed to USC, and then they had some coaching turnover. So he ended up, uh, you know, switching up his commitment and went to Florida State. Mm. So this is somebody that likes Los Angeles, is going to be very comfortable in Los Angeles. Who, look, they're going to pay him. They're going to pay him a boatload of money, and I think this relationship will actually work out well there with him, with that team and that town. I think it's it's where he wants to be.
5: I think it's where he wants to be, and I think everyone has to understand this. Obviously, you and I live in Southern California. I'm in LA. You're down uh, near San Diego. When you are, I have to think the Rams are taking the LA Lakers approach. Oh, stars, man. Star power matters. And so when you think about the L.A. Lakers and how the L.A. Lakers have traditionally built their teams, yeah, every now and then they get a homegrown player. But you know what the Lakers have always done really well? Man, you know that play over there, that, that play on that other team looks really good. You know what? Let's go get Shaq. Mm-hmm. Let's go get <laughs> LeBron James. Let's go get someone that is playing somewhere else, and we're going to put him in Hollywood, and he's going to love it. The Rams obviously have been looking at the Lakers, and they're saying maybe that model works here in Hollywood rather than worrying about developing your own players, we'll let somebody else develop them, and then we'll take the production, even if we have to overpay for that, we'll bring them in and we'll win that way.
4: Hey, no doubt. Um, It's, uh, look, it it's a fascinating situation to me. Again, I, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. I want to see how this thing plays out. But I have a feeling um, it, it will end up working out just fine for the Rams. All right, Marcus Peters, the Rams, uh, spun the tires on him. He's been traded. Buck, this was your guy. Uh, mm-hmm. You've always been a Marcus Peters guy going through the draft process. Now, this is somebody who has a lot of production. That you can't dispute that. But this is somebody who's now on his third team. Your
5: yeah, thoughts? he's on his third team. So this is funny. Like I had this conversation with the defensive back coach. Uh, last year. And he was like, look, man, I like Marcus Peters. I like what he does. I like some of the things, but I don't know if he can stay focused or engaged enough to ever be a number one corner, meaning mm-hmm. looking and, and I don't know Marcus Peters and any of those things or whatever, but like it appears that he has a, a tough time kind of locking in and kind of being on his P's and Q's consistently over the course of a game. And he said that when you are a coach, man, there's something to having, stability and consistency at a position where when you're building a game plan, you kind of know each and every week how a guy is going to perform. And Marcus Peters, who I love as a player, I loved him coming out of Washington because I saw a lot of a to leave in him. I saw a guy that was a ball hawk, a guy who was kind of an edgy player. And I believe you have to have a handful of edgy players on your defense. But I also can look at the table and say, look, he has been inconsistent when it comes to consistently playing at a high level like you would expect the number one corner to do. And so what the Rams did is, man, living through that roller coaster ride, even though it has been productive and fruitful at times, you've also seen some bad moments where he's given up some plays. I just believe for them, I would rather have someone that I know is going to give me consistent performance, even if it's at a lower level than what Marcus Peters' high can be. And I think they're willing to move on. I would like to ask you, having spent time in Baltimore, because I've seen Baltimore do these moves for years, and somehow they kind of tend to work out. I do wonder for Marcus Peters, because of his personality, because he is what we call kind of like a red line player, the engine is always kind of revving on high. I do wonder by going to Baltimore, surrounded by other players that are like that, I wonder if we'll see the best Of Marcus Peters when it comes to being a competitor and being consistent because when I look at Earl Thomas man Earl Thomas is a guy that his emotion runs runs high and some of those other players on that defense. I wonder if it's maybe a better fit from a personality standpoint for him to play in Baltimore where they've always had an edge to him on that defense.
4: You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I think that Marcus Peters is a better fit in Baltimore than he is in Los Angeles, and and having been there, Buck, there is an edge that that defense has had for twenty plus years now. The way that they, they go about it, um, or twenty years I should say, whenever they got there to Baltimore, they've throughout the existence of this organization, there has been um, there's a intimidation factor. With the Baltimore Ravens defense, now their defense is not playing as well this mm-hmm. year as they have in years past, and I almost think they feel like when you lose a Terrell Suggs, um, you know, trying to find some of that edge as Z- Darius Smith moves on, um, they need some more that you know, for lack of a better word, we used to call it, you know, in the scouting room, you kind of like junkyard dogs. Mm-hmm. Man. You want somebody that has that that nastiness to them and that not not fight in a physical sense, but just has fight in them. And Marcus Peters has flaws. I think he, everybody can acknowledge he's had flaws mm-hmm. off the field. Um, he's had flaws as a player. You know, you mentioned focus, playing a little bit too aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he'll he'll plug in and he'll fit in well there. He'll be in a room f- with a bunch of guys that uh, that see see the game the same way he does. Which is, we we'll make mistakes, but we'll make them 100 miles an hour.
5: It's funny that you said that because I think that word um, that you use is really appropriate. My dad always talks about it when we talk about like defense. Uh, You talked about dogs and dogs in terms of D-A-W-G-S. Like you have that dog to him, that feistiness to him, that that, that thing that you know what it's like. I kind of equate it to on defense. On offense, you have a cerebral coach. You have guys that are thinkers, a little more thoughtful. On defense, the D coordinator needs to be a zookeeper because the guys on that side of the ball – they're a little edgy. They're a little, they, they go to the line and sometimes beyond the line. And the person has to be comfortable having a handful of those on his squad. When I think about the Baltimore Ravens and how they played for years, that defense always has had guys that were dogs, that were edgy. I mean, I think in hockey terms, they would call them goons. Guys that would kind of knock you out. Mm-hmm. They, they played to and through the whistle. And that was just kind of a part of the reputation that the Baltimore Ravens had. I think for... Marcus Peters, and I go back to what a coach told me when he was coming out, that look, man, it takes a wolf to coach a wolf, that it takes an organization that is very comfortable with those kind of guys to bring him in. I think Baltimore has shown that they're very, very comfortable with these kinds of players, guys that have a little character to them, guys that um, aren't necessarily uh, unblemished. I think for Marcus Peters, I think this is a great fit, and I can't wait to see How Earl Thomas challenges Marcus Peters to be a better player because we have seen Mm -hmm. Earl and we saw how the Legion of Boom was constructed. And I think Earl in Baltimore, having a guy that they can kind of work on and go back and forth. I think he can challenge Marcus Peters. And I think Marcus Peters will respond in a in an outstanding way.
4: Uh, No doubt. Uh It's going to be interesting to watch. I do think fit is extremely important, and I do like to fit there with him in Baltimore, Marlon Humphrey on the other side. And I think, just think about it, he played with the Chiefs where for a long time, especially since Andy Reid got there, their identity has been offense. He went and played for the Rams, even though they had a good defense. The identity of the Rams is Sean McVay and the offense. Now he's going to go to a team, even though at this point in time, the Ravens' offense is playing better than their defense, the identity in Baltimore will forever be tied to their defense, so he's he's going to get a chance to to be on a team where defense gets the uh, the top billing, and I think he'll respond well uh, there. Uh, real quick, Buck, before we get to Matt Rule, I just want to ask you the question here. Uh, we talked about it on the pod the other day with Winston and Mariota. Mm-hmm. Um, is this uh, is this it? I mean, I know Mariota got benched, mm. so Ryan Tannehill's taken over. I mean, I, I think I'm willing to to uh, uh, to say firmly that Marcus Mariota's this is his last year in Tennessee. He'll get a chance to go somewhere else and start fresh. Uh, Jameis Winston, I think it's um, even though it's been such a roller coaster ride, I think he still has an opportunity for the remainder of the season to to prove that he deserves to to stay in Tampa.
5: Yeah, like this is this is one where um, you talked about hit, hits and misses. Uh, I I think this is a little bit of, of, of both for me when I look at both of these guys. Um, I think. What I learned from the evaluation of Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, typically is how you play in college is typically how you play in the pros. When we look at both They're of telling these you guys, who they are believe them. Yeah, when we look at both of these guys, both of these guys are playing exactly how they played in college. Um, Jameis Winston was a, a fearless gunslinger who might have been prone to making bad decisions on and off the field. Um, those things have kind of carried out and played out in real time in his pro career. Uh, the turnovers that plagued him his final season at Florida State continue to be an issue for him and the pros. And even though he can have these highlight moments, these moments where you see the leadership skills, you see the, the fearlessness as a gunslinger turn into good things, more times than not it also leads to turnovers and, and, and things that really just kind of crush your team when you really need it. And Marcus Mariota, you and I talked about it when he was coming out. Great athlete, great intangibles. Um, the leadership ability is what you wanted, but it was very, very quiet. So you wondered, did he have the commanding personality to really be the face of a franchise um, if some of those guys didn't know him and couldn't automatically kind of buy into like, hey, my, my 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 play does the talking for me. And then when it comes to his playing style, he was an athletic playmaker who could make some things, but when we watched him as a passer, he was never really a true Timing, touch, and anticipation thrower. He had to see things come open before he delivered. And when you look at him as, as a pro, he is the same way. He doesn't necessarily trust it. I, I would call Marcus Mariota, if we go to Top Gun, he's Iceman in Top Gun. Where Maverick <laughs> will let it go. Ice always had to line up the perfect shot before he would do it. So you remember those scenes when he was like, hey, you know, let it go, Ice. No, no, not yet. Not always waiting for the perfect shot. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, look, James Winston is Maverick. And my man is Ice, Marcus Mariota. He never lets it go. But here's what I'm gonna say about Marcus Mariota and why I believe he actually can bounce back. I believe Marcus Mariota is Alex Smith 2.0. All the constant turnover Mm -hmm. at the offensive coordinator position has certainly impacted him. Not necessarily knowing how he fits in has impacted him. And I think he's a guy that has to know where everything fits before he can play aggressively and assertively. Much like Alex Smith was in San Francisco until Jim Harbaugh got, got there and found a way to kind of clean the picture for him. Then he goes to Kansas City. Andy Reid made it even clearer for him, and he played. If Marcus Mariota can find the right play caller and play designer to help him, I think Marcus Mariota can have success in the league. But I do believe there's a cap on what he can do in the league. I think that cap is very similar to what Alex Smith's cap was. Now, Alex Smith has won a lot of games the last five or six years. And so if I'm a team, I'm definitely willing to kick the tires on Marcus Mariota, particularly if I have one of those quarterback whispers that understand how to try and get the best out of him by playing the game in a certain fashion.
4: I just need these two to have an awkward high five getting out of an airplane. Uh, <laughs> that, would, uh, that would pull this whole thing together. Uh, Buck, think, think about this. These guys have each started, or have each played in 62 games in their career now. 62. So we said 40 was kind of the number where we thought we had a feel for guys. So 62 games is a lot of games. And it, we, we always, you know, we say it here. If you tell, you, who, you tell us who you are, we need to believe you. Marcus Mariota, um, 76 touchdowns, 44 picks. Jameis Winston, much more touchdowns, 100 touchdowns, much more picks, 68 picks. Mm. Um, it's just interesting. They've played the exact same number of game. Fumbles, Jameis Winston has fumbled 26 times. Marcus Mariota fumbled 17 times. So, I mean, it's sacks are, are, you know, that's the other thing. We talk about what's the infrastructure for these teams. Sacks, Jameis Winston's taken 147 sacks. Mariota's taken 155. Damn. Um, so pretty similar, pretty similar there. But I just think it's a, it is an interesting study that they have the exact same data point in terms of the uh, the number of games to look at for these guys.
5: I mean, and, and it's still divided. Like, I mean, could we could we really say which one of these guys has had the better career? I mean, I think both of these guys are about the same. Like, Marcus, Mariota's
4: been to the postseason; he, he gets that feather in his cap. Yeah, he he's been to the. Post Jameis season. Winston's best is better than Marcus Mariota's best. And Jameis Winston's worse is worse than Marcus Mariota's lows. I mean, that's just what it is. Jameis Winston is a roller coaster. It's just like you go to the amusement park, Buck. Jameis Winston is, the, you climb way up that thing, but you come way down. Marcus Mariota's like the Dixie, or little the cups. What do they call those things? The little. Uh, <laughs> uh, the teacups? Uh, he's uh, like the little teacups tea spinning cups. around. Yeah, he's the teacups. Yeah, 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 you know, you get off and you're like, I, that was fine. You know, I guess it was all right. It didn't give me much of a, didn't give me much of a thrill, but I, I wasn't worried about throwing up either. It was just a nice, relaxing little journey.
5: Just a nice, relaxing ride. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if either one of these guys really um, kind of turn your crank when it comes to, like, man, I want this guy to be my, my franchise quarterback. Um, with Marcus Mariota, like, and then here's also the other thing. Like, in talking to people who have been around him, um, and I think this is interesting. Marcus Mariota kind of played at his best when people hated the offensive coordinator. When he was under uh, Mike Malarkey and Terry Rubisky and they were doing some of the things that they were trying to do at Oregon, he had success. Now, privately people told me he hated doing some of that stuff that he did at Oregon. He didn't want to be a runner anymore. He wanted to show people that he could throw from the pocket. And I think sometimes your lack of self-awareness as a player can really be detrimental to your career. And so Marcus Mariota has to really dig down and look at himself on tape and look at what he does really well and where he struggles and he has to be willing to say hey I can't necessarily play the game like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning but I can be successful in a in a number of ways I think he has to give himself the best chance and some of that is using his athleticism as a, as opposed to "Hey, i I'm approved to everyone that I can be a pure pocket passer
4: yeah yeah that's true and Look, I I think he's going to get an opportunity somewhere else and uh, get a chance to revive his career next year. I don't think it'll be uh, there in Tennessee. He's got there in 2015. I think 2019, that'll be it. We'll see. What happens with Jameis Winston, if he continues to turn the football over, I'd imagine that'll be it for him in Tampa uh, as well. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I think it might be time for uh, try something new. Know what you got there. I know. Top Gun, I want yeah. teacups. I didn't know yeah. that was coming today.
5: Top, top, Top Gun. Are they doing a remake of Top Gun? Top Gun 2? Isn't is isn't that coming out sometime? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not excited you're about, not about that. You're I'm not excited, excited about, about that? that? Top Gun. Yeah, well. I'm uh, the
4: top Gun's a perfect movie. Don't the, Leave it alone.
5: Leave it alone. Maverick, Maverick and Iceman. Maverick and Iceman. Man.
4: And I'm, I'm still bummed out about the whole 90210 reboot. I didn't didn't really care for that. I mean, I don't know why
5: anybody right. would be Let's, excited uh, about that. I mean, the, the reboot? The
4: show was the best of all time. I mean, it, it was. Not it was. Was. Uh, the I, was. I probably never
5: told you because, like, I never told you this. So, like, 90210 was, was kind of like my show. And I might have had, like, a slight crush on yeah. Tiffany Amber Thiessen. So, one day. Yes. One day, I was at a, a coffee shop not too far from the house uh, called core Tree. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing in line, mm-hmm. and guess who's standing behind me? Tiffany Amberthi. Come on, looking as stunning. Kelly
4: Kapowski was right behind you in line,
5: looking as stunning as ever. And you know what I did? I did nothing. <laughs> I had nothing for her.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I want to say she was well, she was Val. I think she was Valerie on 90210, right? Was that her character? It was Valerie, right? Uh,
5: yeah, I don't know I don't care what her name is. I just remember whenever she would come yeah. on the screen just being yeah. mesmerized in high school, being like, yeesh. So, so, so,
4: much, so much for that. <laughs> That's too funny. Nah, Bucky, Bucky set that one out. <laughs> what did she order? Do you even know what she
5: ordered? Uh, no, I don't know. But, um, yeah, she was there, and I was ready. I would have paid for breakfast.
4: <laughs> I paid Kelly Kropowski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I bet she would have. Uh, all right, on that note. Uh, Let's get to our conversation today with a a coach that we've long admired and looked forward to to visiting with that has done a phenomenal job turning around this Baylor football program. His name, by the way, has been mentioned uh, for NFL jobs, was mentioned for the Colts a couple years ago, the Jets last year. Um, In some way, definitely NFL teams are keeping an eye on uh, for the job he's done at the college level, and that is uh, Baylor head coach Matt Rule. Here's our conversation. All right, Buck. Here he is, uh, Coach Matt Rule, and, and Coach. I, I, this has been an unbelievable turnaround for you at Baylor. But I, I want to go back to when you first got the job, the first team meeting, uh, when you met with your team. I just love to know what your message was to the group at that point in time.
6: Uh, boy, that seems like such a long time ago. You know, I, I think the biggest thing that uh, <laughs> I wanted to get across, I wanted to get across early on to them, was that you know, um, well, I knew that they hadn't picked me. That I had chosen them, you know. I think that was important. When you have coaching changes, sometimes you know the, the players can have a lot of doubt. You know, hey, does you know this coach did recruit me? Does he want me? Does he want to use me? Uh, especially me, I was coming in from Philadelphia. They didn't know who I was, and I wanted them to know that you know I, I didn't have to take this job. I chose to take this job because I wanted to be their coach, and I wanted them to feel wanted and, and know know that you know I had big plans for them.
5: You know, Coach, in, in, in thinking about that, because you did inherit a program that was going through some stuff, and you've done this before because you were able to do it at Temple. Uh, what is the secret sauce behind orchestrating a turnaround? How do you help teams that are struggling kind of find their way and kind of get it going in a positive direction?
6: Well, I, I think it you know comes in a couple different areas. I think number one is, you know, you have to improve the roster. You know, I mean, you have to you have to get – and that that doesn't come from just getting new players. It comes from developing the players you have. And I think we've done a really good job of putting players in the right positions. You know, sometimes a, a player might be really talented and have the right mindset and makeup, but he's at the wrong position. And And we try to do a good job of, of the way we practice. Uh, we practice the ones, the twos, and the threes. We're really competitive in practice even during the season. But try to get guys in the right spots. Try to spend a ton of time recruiting and a lot of people recruit and they look at where the player is. We try to look at where they're going to be in three or four years and recruit outside the box. And then, you know, we wanted to make sure that even in that first year when we were going 1-11, that we were building a, a program that was tough, that was hardworking, that was competitive. Um, we, we knew we probably weren't going to win a lot of games, but we could at least try to win the game and go compete to win the game. And so the nice thing is now that we're having some success, we have the same process now that we had that first year. Nothing's changed. And I think that consistency is what allows players to develop.
4: Coach, I sat there in your office you know, following that that rough first year and going into year two. And I distinctly remember you talking about speed, um, saying that, look, we're going out. We're trying to find guys with track background. We're trying to find guys that can really run. We need to make this football team faster. We'll develop them when we get them on campus. But that is one area that you focused on. Uh, and man, it seems like at this point in time, you're starting to see that really pay off. Your, your football team so much faster now than when you got there.
6: Yeah, you know, we um we we made a decision a long, a long time ago to be just kind of really numbers based. Um, you know, you can you can just go get a bunch of really good football players, and there, there's there's a place for that. Uh, but but for us, you know, we don't really have first pick in recruiting. You know, we're not uh, the blue blood school that you know takes all the five star kids, and so you know we're going to find kids with length, we're going to find kids with size, we're going to find kids who 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 can run, who can jump, and and, and feel like. Our, profit, our process, our work ethic, our weight room, our coaching staff, they'll they develop the football part of it. So it doesn't work all the time, but, you know, you look out there for us and you see a bunch of kids that run 10-2, 10-3, 10-4, you know, and maybe they were a receiver in high school, now they're a corner. Maybe they were a corner, now they're a safety. But you see a lot of speed across the board. You see former receivers playing linebacker. And so um, it's—it's a—it's not a, it's not the easy way to do it, but I think if you do it right, you can have a really fast team, a really explosive team, and get guys in the right spots.
5: You know, Coach, in, in thinking about that, because, look, I, I, I know you're full of confidence and you knew you had a vision for the program. But when you're going through that first season, for you privately, how tough is it to kind of stay the course when you have lost a number of games in a row?
6: Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> you you feel bad for the players because, you, you, you know, you feel for them because you know that, hey, eventually this will work. And I... We probably really knew that because we went through it at Temple. You know, we were two and ten that first year at Temple, and we were zero and five, zero and six, and and you know, people I, every day I was afraid to pick up the phone. Like, are they going to fire me today? And and I got a phone call one day from Dick Vermeil, and I barely knew Coach Vermeil, right? But we're in Philadelphia. He'd come out to practice once, and he said to me, he said, Matt, stay the course. Don't listen to anyone. Trust yourself. Trust your coaches. Don't change do what you believe is right until it works. And the next year we went six and six, then we won 10 games and 10 games. And so when we came here and we were going through the same season and lost the Liberty and lost the UTSA and and everything was kind of crumbling around us. We, we had a lot of confidence that we were just going to believe in our process, stick to what we were doing. And the biggest thing was we tried to make sure we focused on the players. And I told them, even if we're not winning, you can get a lot better. Like, even if, even if we're not going to win games this year, we'll win those games in the future. But you can develop yourself into a pro in two years from now, three years from now. So, you know, that first team, no one, no one got drafted. We had one free agent. This, this past year, we had one guy drafted, and we had uh, three or four, five free agents, a couple guys stuck on IR. This, this year, we'll have a bunch of guys drafted. And so it was the work they put in in that tough season that seemed like a punishment. Now it's the best thing that ever happened to them, and they're going to have a lot of success in the next level.
4: Coach, going through the, the draft process and you're evaluating these guys, you're always trying to find you know the different traits. We can all see the physical stuff. That's easy to spot on the tape. Um, but trying to find the makeup of kids. And we were talking to Dabo uh, last week and we kind of pose this question to him. He used the word focus over and over again, just with all the distractions we have in the world today, especially for these young kids. The guys that are really focused, that that, that is a huge deal. Is there? Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And is there another trait? Is there something else that you see,
6: you know, that the guys that have been successful in your program have in common? Yeah, I think focus is a great word. And, and I think you have to find guys that come from pro- programs that require them to focus, you know, um, like there's this mindset out there that, you know, um, Kids can only go 20 minutes and then they need to check their phone or, you know, they, you know, they don't write things down like that. Like I, I can promise you, the government's not meeting for twenty minutes, and then everyone goes and checks their phone when they're trying to decide what to do with Iran <laughs> or Iraq or something, right? Like, like we, we've just made it. We've just made. We've just made excuses for kids because kids can do a lot of things. And so, you know, I, I, I I'm assuming if you take a kid from Clemson, if you take a kid from Alabama, you're getting a guy who who has been forced to focus and learn football and study and prepare. And that's what you get when you get a guy from Baylor. And uh, I think I think it comes down to really two things to me. It comes down to maturity. Um, you know, a lot of kids are really good kids. You just have to kind of wait for them to grow up. And, and I, a lot of that to me is, is, is adversity. You know, um, I love, and I think there's a great thing to look at in the NFL. And I know some guys have studied like former walk-ons in the NFL, uh, you know, guys who wait have on. changed positions, guys who have redshirted. you know, a lot of guys are five-star recruits, four-star recruits. They go in, they play three years and they leave and they haven't really had, they might have had off the field adversity. But they haven't had a lot of football adversity. You only football character when you have football adversity. When you're when things are going well, everyone's good. When things, you know, hit the fan is when you need to truly love the game. And to me, when you get guys who have redshirted, who have changed positions, who have walked on, you know that they have gone through that period and had to fight through it. And so I think that maturity, that love of the game, is what everyone's dying for at the next level.
5: You know, coach, and thinking about the the, the core awesome. traits. You were mentioning the core traits for the players. What do you believe are the core traits for a championship program?
6: Well, I think you have to you have to be a pro, you have to be tough. <laughs> I mean, we believe that it, we believe here that you have to be tough, <laughs> hardworking, and competitive. And, and tough isn't just bang your head against the wall. I mean, tough means that you know if if you're four three that you run four three all day. Tough means that if you're a bump and run corner and the game's on the line that you don't just start backing up. Uh, tough means that you have to be mentally and physically tough and, and, and you know, you don't break under the strain of the game or under the strain of the season or or anything else. And I think you need hardworking guys. I mean, um the the best, the the very best do extra. And then you want competitive guys. I mean, I want guys that want to win everything. And so to me, if we can find tough, hardworking competitive guys or if we can build tough, hardworking competitive guys, then you have a tough hardworking and competitive team and uh, those are the teams that don't beat themselves, and I love watching the Patriots. You know, I'm not a Patriots fan per se, but I love watching teams like that that reinvent themselves week in and week out, that, that'll take an offensive player and have them go play corner. You know, they'll, they'll handle injuries. They just, they just have a bunch of tough, hardworking, competitive dudes, and, and they are able to win on the road. They're able to win when they're behind. They're able to win when they have injuries, and that, that to me is what makes a great team.
4: Coach, I'm curious on this one. Just uh, you know, covering NFL games on a weekly basis and going around the league, I don't know that tackling's ever been worse um, than it is right now in the NFL. And I know the the restrictions you guys are under at the college level. Uh, I'm just curious, as somebody with your background, how, how do you have a good tackling team nowadays?
6: Well, so th- through through six games we have one, and we we drill it and we rep it and we practice it. And we, we, we tack, we practice tackling on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's like anything else you have, there's a risk reward to everything that you do, but in the college level, at least we are not coaching players. We're training players. When you get to the NFL, you have guys that are already trained and you can just coach them, but we're training players from the fundamentals on up. And so, um, we work tackling in the off season. I mean, half of tackling is before contact even occurs. It's, it's the angles that you run it's your eye level, it's your body position, it's the, it's, it's, do you take one more step? Do you step and strike with the same foot and same shoulder? And so we, um, we, we, we practice that a lot, you know, more than anything else, those angles and running and mirroring people. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with kids not playing a lot of different sports. You know, when you play a lot of different sports, um, you, you play basketball, you have tremendous lateral movement. Um, when you play baseball, you have great tracking, you know, like I love finding receivers that were former outfielders and their ability to go find the ball and track it. So when you, when you kind of specialize you have a lot of really fast, explosive kids that can go straight ahead and, and, and you end up having a lot of torn ACLs and knee injuries and stuff because people aren't trained to go laterally. So uh, we try to build that into our off-season program. But you also have to be willing to put the pads on a strike. And, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to be dumb. You don't have to be unsafe. You can do it in a safe environment. But we do that day in and day out, and that's why, you know, we don't fumble the ball very often, and our guys are usually pretty good tacklers.
5: You know, Coach, I, I absolutely love uh, hearing all of those things. Um, when you look at th- think about your team, I've heard the best teams are player-led. So when you think about your captains and how you select your captains, um, what do your captains have to embody to be the guys that you kind of entrust that leadership responsibility to?
6: Yeah, we, we, um, you know, we, have, we have captains and we have single digits, which, you know, if you wear one through nine, it means you truly rec- you represent the brand at a high level. You're tough. You're hardworking. You're competitive, and um, you know. To me, we believe that 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 you know leaders lead from the front. You know, and and they have to they have to a be guys who can get the job done, not just talkers. They have to get the job done. They have to execute the mission for the team, and they always have to put others first. And so um, we don't do that very lightly with anyone. You know, uh, we 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 that's why we allow the team to vote. And we let the team pick. Now, I can always veto it, but I rarely do because the guys know who they can really trust, right? They know who they really believe and they know who's really living the life, um, you know, that they, that we, they, they portray. And so uh, all I want from from the leaders on our team is I want everyone, number one, to be a great teammate. If you're just a great teammate, if you'd come out here every day and you meet the standard and you pl- practice and play at a high level, then we're going to have a good team. But if we have guys who are willing to go beyond that, that are willing to, you know, do a little bit extra to, to, to have other, other people's backs to push other people and hold them accountable then we have a chance to have a great team and so we try to build it for when they're young and i try to find guys that you know i pay attention to the lift groups when they first get here and who's the guy that's in the front that that is able to correct his teammates without always having to be the guy that's over the top and then we try to take those things and build them and and uh, have leader groups and councils and things like that to try to teach them how to do it and and so that way when they get to be a senior they're not all of a sudden saying oh now it's my turn to lead they've been trained on it just like they've been trained on you know, how to play bump and run
4: coach, your time there with Tom Coughlin. Um, I'm just curious if there is a phrase or, or any kind of a message that he delivered to his team uh, that has stuck with you over all these years, maybe more so than any other.
6: Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, I think the, <laughs> the, the biggest thing that I think that I took from him, which maybe not what you're asking, but I think it's such an important point was that he, um, he spent so much time with the players one-on-one and there's always kind of this thing out there about Coach Coffin like you know he was a drill sergeant blah, blah, blah. but like he would meet with uh Justin Tuck and he would meet with Eli and he would meet with you know uh Akeem Nix and he would meet with those guys one-on-one and and talk to them and that way like, they weren't able really getting called out but they were they were hearing his message from him and to me, you know, I always tell our – you know, we asked earlier about leadership. I always tell our coaches and our players, you know, our message, your words, man. Like, you know, like I'm going to say it one way. You know, you say it another way and make it way cooler. That's fine. But our message, your words. And that's their chance to – that's their chance to the stay, coach. I don't like that message. And so, you know, whereas I used to be a little bit more of, you know, probably, you know, team meeting, yeller and screamer on the practice field, da-da-da, I mean, I still am an intense guy. But I spend a lot of times with my players. I spend a lot of time one on one. I spend a lot of time with two or three guys. I I watch the tape with the, you know the backup left tackle just one on one, and I learned that from Coach Coughlin because he built amazing connections that way. And you need that when you have, go to a place like New York where the media and the you know everything is you know everything's under the microscope. He did it one on one in close quarters, and I thought it's what allowed him to have a tremendous amount of success.
5: Coach, last question for me because we've done this a lot on the podcast and I'm curious because I'm, I'm a new head coach at a high school, but if you could um, think about a young Matt rule, if you could give the young Matt rule, who's an aspiring head coach advice, what would be the advice that you would give him?
6: Uh, I would say, and and, and I would say to not worry about winning um, because it'll eat you alive. I I, I would say I I wake up every morning and I say to myself, Matt, just remember uh, there's a player on the team today who needs you to, to, to help them. And if you wake up, if I if I wake up every day and say to myself, I'm here to help the players, because if you're worried about winning, you just help the top 22 or the top 30. And I have 115, 120 guys. And if I wake up every day and I try to help 120 guys, and my focus is completely on them, the football will come, right? The football is the fun part. The team will come, mm-hmm. but by helping the kid on the scout team, by helping the kid, those kids, you know, they end up having hope, and they end up finding a role, and they end up finding, and all of a sudden, your team gets stronger and stronger. And kids want to stick around in an age where people think everyone's transferring. Well, when you pour into the when you pour into your players and you try to be there for them, they you know some might transfer, but they all don't transfer. And so, um, whereas I started out really thinking about winning and losing, now I think about helping the players and then playing great football. Like I, we're not going to win every game every year, but we can play really really good football. And then when we do win, like last week we won a sloppy game. We were not happy on Sunday because we knew we didn't play great football. So when the standard is is playing elite elite football, and the standard is making sure every player uh, is having a better life because they came through our program, then I think the wins and losses take care of themselves.
4: Coach, this has been awesome, man. I know uh, Bucky, and it's in the same boat I am. You just got pages full of uh, of notes here from you. This has been uh, this has been so great. But I, I do want to ask you this one this one last question. We've asked this of a bunch of coaches, and we've got some great answers because we're we're asking doesn't have to be a player that played for you, but just the best high school football player you've ever laid eyes on. And we've had answers ranging from Allen Iverson uh, to Sammy Watkins, um, and on and on and on. We've had LeBron James. We had uh, Mel Tucker had, had seen LeBron when he was in high school. So he was talking about him as a football player. I'm just curious, in your years, be it on tape, on a practice field, the best high school football player you've ever seen?
6: LeVar Arrington. Um, LeVar Arrington was the best player I've ever seen because he, he, he came out three years after me, so we were teammates for a brief bit. But he he was such a great high school player that his high school film, highlight film, was, was you could get it in a couple blockbusters out in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and um, And then I... <laughs> The name escapes me, and this is really embarrassing. But the kid that just, the young man that just left Michigan, that um, that went, the D lineman that went in the first round, what's his name? Oh, Rashad Gary,
4: yeah.
6: Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, he came Gary. to our camp. He came to our camp at Temple in like, and I, in like the ninth grade, and I thought he was a senior and was ready to offer him a scholarship <laughs> then. And they said he was a ninth grade, and I wished him the best going directly to the NFL. I thought he was a, just an amazing <laughs> high school football talent.
4: Coach, did you ever see LeVar play basketball? Because I I played in an AAU tournament, right? When I was 12 years old, I played in an AAU tournament. It was in Utah. And I went back. This was like many years after. So I'm 42. So I looked this. I found this thing in my garage. And I thought, you know what? Surely there's somebody that played in this AAU tournament with the top 12-year-olds in the country that that turned out to be somebody. And there's LeVar Arrington. Uh, he's in sixth grade. He's like three feet taller than everybody on his team. He had the Bobby Brown step haircut. I sent him this picture because I got a chance to work with LeVar a little bit. I sent him the picture. It was incredible. Did you ever see – did you ever play hoops with LeVar? Have you ever seen LeVar play hoops?
6: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had – I mean, we uh, – there was a time when you'd go to the gym uh, and there, all the freshmen were out there playing, and they had LeVar. They had Courtney Brown who would, like, dunk on you and then apologize and make sure you were okay. <laughs> Floyd Wedderburn who was, like, 6'6", 350, who played for the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it, I, I just tried to stay outside, and shoot from the perimeter because there was no there was no messing around. With
4: you guys. <laughs> it's so good, oh, that's a great one, Coach. Hey, man, we, we hope to, we hope you guys keep it rolling there at Baylor, man. It has been fun to watch you turn this thing around. Um, you know, we're, look, we're, we we're in the NFL, so we're selfish. We hope one day you make that decision, but we're not going to pressure you. Enjoy your time there at Baylor, man. You did a wonderful job. <laughs>
6: I appreciate you guys. Good luck to you, Coach Brooks,
5: too. Hey, thanks, Coach. It's helped a lot. Appreciate you.
4: Well, there you go, Buck. Uh, you know, look, you listen to Coach Rule speak, and you can quickly understand why he's uh, his reputation as a leader, not just as a football coach, but as a leader, is uh, is so great. He's an impressive, impressive guy.
5: Oh, for sure. I mean, look, having talked to him before, talked to him at the Combine, talked to him about team building, talked to him about like how you kind of get everyone going in the right direction. Uh, you can see why. Look, a dynamic leader, a guy who obviously has a blueprint for leading teams back from the ashes. And I'm just, man, I, I, I just can't uh, tell you how much I appreciate hearing him tell stories and how he's been able to kind of rebuild a couple of different programs. So it's exciting to watch him. He has a team sitting at 6-0. and I can't wait to see how they finish in the Big 12.
4: Yeah, and we see what they do uh, going forward here. If they keep this thing rolling, who would have thunk it? Uh, Baylor sitting there undefeated, doing a phenomenal Job. All right. Some college players want to touch on here real quick, Buck, and then we'll do hits and misses. Um, I talked to a uh, to a scout the other day who told me CD Lamb, when it's all said and done, will end up getting picked ahead of Jerry Judy. Just like to get your thoughts on that one.
5: Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, there's a part of me that can see it. Um, I I think. What happens when you're looking at wide receivers, I think it's easy for your eyes to be drawn to maybe the more dynamic player. I think in Jerry Judy, what you get is a workmanlike player that is just very, very consistent. Um, He's an outstanding route runner. He's very polished in in how he goes about his business. He has great hands. Um, He has run after catchability. But whenever you look at him, particularly at Alabama, there's really no flash to his game like you just see steady eddy production consistency and those things and I think sometimes you can get bored with that and C D lamb what you see are you see some of that you see the polished route running builder. you see the explosive plays you see a dynamic player um, I think when you look at his spectacular plays they may resonate in your mind a little more than Jerry Judy and I think the decision has to come down between what else do you have around them when it comes to building your wide receiver core. You and I have talked about this on multiple occasions about building a basketball team. I think for, uh, if you're a team in interest of, of Jerry Judy, I think you're looking for um, kind of like the steady 80 point guard. Like, I got it, It's not necessarily a Russell Westbrook score, but just kind of like Kyle Lowry, can get to the bucket when he needs to, but can run the team. I think in C.D. Lamb, you're talking about a Russell Westbrook type of guy that is dynamic and explosive and the like. And so a lot of it depends on what's your preference for your wide receiver one and your wide receiver two, and what else do you have available on your roster?
4: Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me. I I think they're going to end up running a similar time. You know, everything I've heard is, You know, and you watch him play. Look, I think Judy plays a little bit faster than C.D. Lamb does. Judy's just so twitched up. Like, he's not, he's, I was told, like, he's going to probably run low 4.5s. Maybe he gets into the high 4.4s, but more than likely low 4.5s. And then you look at C.D. Lamb, and I've heard kind of, you know, mid 4.5s in that range. Here's the difference to me. Jerry Judy separates. He creates tremendous separation mm. because he's so sudden at the top of his route. So that quickness and suddenness. And then after the catch, Jerry Judy, uh, he plays faster than what his time will be, and he can get away from you after the catch. So there's a, kind of that quickness and uh, suddenness that Jerry Judy, I'd give him a little bit of an edge. Now, the, the thing about CeeDee Lamb that, that I love CeeDee Lamb has contested catches. You don't see Jerry Judy with a lot of contested catches. Mm-hmm. CeeDee Lamb breaks tackles. He's physical. You saw that against mm-hmm. Texas, what he did after the catch. And so the question is, when you go up against better players at the next level, what translates more? And with Judy, and I'm look, He, I think he's going to be a good pro, but I think the, the comparison why, why somebody could lean towards Lamb is because you look at somebody like you would know, you know, playing in, in this era, but Peter Wark, Peter mm. works separate like crazy from college kids, quickness and all that, and then try and get away from guys. Well, you get to the NFL, they're, they're just bigger and faster. So he doesn't generate all that separation. Well, now, Peter Wark's not going to be able to make contested catches, which you're going to have to do uh, at the NFL level. Peter Wark's not going to break tackles. Whereas you look at, at CeeDee Lamb, and that's more of the Michael Thomas. I know he's not that big, but more of that style of play. You look at Hopkins and what he's done somebody that can make the contested spectacular catch, can play in the mud, can play in the traffic, can break tackles. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I think sometimes the testing, um, even in this case, it's not apples to apples, but just the testing and how fast or quick or sudden, that doesn't always necessarily tell you who the better pro is going to be.
5: No, this is going to be a fascinating discussion because I'll go back to just a year ago when we were talking about the wide receiver position. Uh, We talked about taking craftsmen over athletes. And yes. how skill was winning out over just pure physical talent. And then when you look at the traits, Jerry Judy is a skilled wide receiver. He is a guy who is um, a very polished and detailed route runner, a guy who kind of understands all the ins and outs of getting open and creating separation and, and those things. And then when you look at CeeDee Lamb, like he just kind of physically overwhelms the people that he plays against. Um, When we make this debate, and I'm sure this will be debated going all the way through until draft day, some of it I do wonder is when we look at Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy's playing in the SEC against cornerbacks that we know are going to be pros. And so the separation that we see from him is very, very real. When we look at C.D. Lamb, we know the reputation for Big 12 and defensive players. And the fact that he's having more contested catches does make you wonder, man, is he going to be able to separate from better players yep. down the line. and But then we say all that, and then you look at the tape, and your eyes are drawn to both of them. And I really think it's going to come down to, if I'm a wide receiver coach and an offensive coordinator, I'm going into Baskin-Robbins. What style do I want to be my lead receiver? Yeah. Do I want the guy that I can, A, create things and have him run routes and get open? Or do I kind of want the Michael Thomas type where he just physically beats you down over the course of the game where he wins out? As the league is continuing to shift and defenses are playing more man-to-man, more nose-to-nose coverage with the cornerbacks and that, you do wonder, can a skill guy beat a, a will or a toughness guy at the line of scrimmage? It's just going to be fascinating to figure it out and to watch these guys continue to play in the National Football League.
4: Yeah, And, and I think they're both going to be really good football players. And as of right now, I have Judy over CeeDee Lamb. But uh, when I heard that, it kind of took me back a little bit and said, OK, well, that's Let's discuss it. Let's look at why that could be. Why would somebody think this way uh, versus a, kind of the conventional wisdom that would have Judy over him? So I think that's the debate and the discussion that will take place. I'm going to get to the end of the year. I'll get a chance to watch every ball that's thrown to these guys uh, at that point in time. and. And uh, have, have a decision to make. I do know one thing. Alabama, it ain't just Jerry Judy. Because Devontae Smith is balling. Henry Ruggs is going to be a top 15 pick. And Jalen Waddell, a sophomore, when it's all said and done, he's not eligible for this draft. When it's all said and done down the line, he might be the one that ends up being the best pro. That dude, is, he's really explosive. So
5: so think so think about all this. Because this will eventually take us to the quarterback discussion. Um I would say outside of our podcast because I don't think you and I have made any judgments or evaluations or hard assessments on what Tua Tungavaloa is in terms of if he comes out, what yeah. would he be? Would he be the number one quarterback? But, man, when you just name, you just named four receivers at Alabama, four receivers mm-hmm. that we're pretty confident are going to be pros, and going to be high draft picks. So now when we look at Tua and we give him all the credit for being one of the top quarterbacks, if not the top quarterback, how much of that – are we going to need to attribute to the playmakers that he has around him versus just Tua kind of doing it by himself? Because when we look at some of the other quarterbacks, they don't have the same luxury of having high-end playmakers around them. So they may not be able to ring up some of the production to match Tua's because they simply don't have the weapons around them to elevate their numbers.
4: Well, let me just go through some of these real quick here um some of the quarterbacks let's go let's see how do you want to sort this let's uh, quarterback rating ends up getting a bunch of guys that have thrown one pass so let's go yards per game all right you ready to have this little little mm-hmm. uh, chat here all right pat mahomes how good were his receivers in college
5: not very good
4: he had a couple guys there at texas tech they had a couple guys though i mean they a couple you know okay. some decent right.
5: players but nothing right. nothing nothing, nothing about six nothing six and seventh round picks right matt
4: matt, matt matt ryan at boston college what did he have
5: uh nothing he didn't have much at Dak at
4: Prescott at miss Dak Prescott at Mississippi State I don't believe they had anything I know they had a big slow receiver who ended up not getting picked um Philip Rivers at NC State I can't honestly I can't remember I can't even but I, can't I, remember I would what imagine he had. it wasn't the most yeah. impressive group uh Tom Brady at Michigan again you got to go way back Jared Goff at Cal um
5: I mean nobody, I nobody just. Davis, uh, they had, um, had
4: player, but nobody, no, 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 no one,
5: no one that really stood the not out. Big time NFL yeah. guys. Yeah.
4: Um, you've got uh, Cam, who's up here in yards. I mean they, that Auburn team, receiver wise, nothing. Russell Wilson. Um, you got to go back to Wisconsin. I don't believe they had a whole lot there. Um, Matthew Stafford at Georgia. Now that he had AJ Green, so that yeah. was a big one. And then Kyler Murray. Obviously, they had a, a loaded group last year. But I mean that's just a list of names. Deshaun Watson though, Deshaun Watson had a ton of great players. Yes, that's that that that's the answer. That's the answer right there. So if you're looking for a comparison for um you know what they had, obviously Baker Mayfield as well. But I mean I think Deshaun Watson has played much better than Baker. So let's use that as the uh, litmus test there. When you get asked, because we're going to get asked these questions a bunch. Ah, Tua, he's driving a Cadillac. Look at all the players he's got around him. Is this Matt Leinart? Is this a situation where he's just surrounded by great players and it's it's making him look better than he is? I would say, well, Deshaun Watson was surrounded by great players, and I thought he made great players even better. So um, that, that, to me, is what I will hang to. Because I'm a Tua guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what he does translates well to the next level. So... That's, you just helped me workshop my argument there when I get hit with he's playing with great players. I'll just hit him with Deshaun Watson.
5: And I, I think this, because I had a discussion with someone the other day, I think we overvalued the weapons that Deshaun Watson had around him, and we devalued him. Uh, the discussion was, hey, he has all this stuff. Like, who couldn't drive that Cadillac? He has everything. Um, But what we did Yeah, Taj
4: Boyd was really good. Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, and so so we kind of knocked him for having terrific players around him, and maybe we didn't give him enough credit that, hey, maybe he's the guy that is the driving force because that offense looked a certain way with Taj Boyd, looked a lot different with Deshaun Watson. And so with Tua – Maybe we make that argument, hey, it looked a certain way when Jalen Hurst was driving that offense. But, man, that's a little different with Tua at the controls. Yep. And so Tua deserves a lot of credit. And you know, like, um, we've talked about him. We've both seen him when he was in high school and the leadership ability and all those other things and watching him kind of grow at Alabama. Is he, does he have flaws? Yes, he does have some flaws. But, man, when you think about the total package when it comes to IQ, leadership ability, physical talent and just kind of the it the it factor. Man, he has a lot of things that you look that you really look for at a position. And now that more teams are willing to do away with the old standards and norms when it comes to the physical dimensions that franchise quarterbacks have yep. to have, it's going to be hard to make a case against Tua um when it comes to who should be at the top of the list of quarterbacks that are eligible if he decides to come out
4: i love it when we stumble upon the talking points for a draft here in uh, what are we, what's the today? october 17th and we've already figured out what some of these narratives are going to be and we've already got the point and the counterpoint ready to go buck yeah no I mean,
5: I mean i it's, it, it's going to be fun to have have that discussion um when we look at it and as you and I begin to really take a closer look because you know how it goes. Like we don't really start digging into the college thing until right around now, like right when we get to November, when we're yeah. into to kind of narrative focus because college scouts have to have all their grades in at the end of November. Um, so now we're beginning to kind of get, oh, okay, here, here's the landscape. Here are the guys that we're really going to have to focus in on. Let's begin to look at them and talk about them and hey, who could be the three or four in that cluster. Let's begin to kind of sort these guys out preliminarily. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be a great discussion because, man, one thing that we have this year that maybe we didn't have last year, we got pass catchers and we're going to have passers. So that's yep. going to make for really no, good no. programming oh, no. because people love to see the throwers and catchers when it comes to the draft.
4: Nah, it's going to be fun. All right, you ready to play some hits and misses? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here we go. This is the 2015 draft, and I just have I don't have my complete reports, but I have my a couple nuggets and notes that I threw into this Excel sheet when I uh, was getting ready for the draft. So, uh, this is 2015. This is the first player, is an edge rusher that I gave a big grade to, unfortunately. Oh, has not worked out. Mm. Okay,
5: hasn't worked out at all. Yeah,
4: this guy, defense, quick hands. uh, no, uh, quick hands, uh, nice job knocking the hands down, keeping his chest clean, uh, can rip, flatten to the quarterback, has a big time inside counter, has a lot of snap uh, to his game. Uh, this guy was my sixth overall player in this draft. Bucky, and uh, he was a first round pick. And I think it's safe to say he was a bust.
5: Ooh, sixth. So here, here here's what I'm thinking, because we had an epic debate. They got me in trouble with a lot of people from Oakland. And that was Dante Fowler. But I don't think it's Dante Fowler. Dante Fowler's the guy? Dante Fowler's
4: not a butt. Dante Fowler's not a butt. Dante Fowler's got a new life with the Rams. Right. So
5: I'm thinking maybe, just maybe, is Shane Ray from Missouri? Is that it?
4: You're. You're a winner. That's it. Shane Ray. Shane Ray, that Missouri pipeline, they'd been putting out all his defensive linemen. Oh, man. um, But he was a little bit undersized. I don't think he tested well. I I don't think he might not even have ran a 40. um, Because I don't even have a 40 in the computer here on him. Um, But it was to me, he was the second coming of Jarvis Jones. Remember him? Yeah. Uh, Who was a total bust. Yeah. That was the warning signs were all over that one. And I just didn't didn't heed him.
5: Well, so, that was was a so I, here, here's the thing. Heart. Here's the thing that was that was tough about the Shane Ray evaluation. Man on tape, he played hard. He did a lot of good things. Yeah, he was a little yep. stiff and a little straight line. But we've seen plenty of pass rushers who didn't have kind of the fluidity continue to be successful. I think the one thing that we um, couldn't get around, man, I heard he was a, a very high maintenance individual in the building, yeah. and that maybe yeah. his self belief or or self assessment didn't match up with what his his playing ability brought, and maybe he didn't maximize the talents that he was given. And so in two places, in Denver and with the Baltimore Ravens, just didn't click. Like yep. I heard it just didn't job with him and the other players and, and the coaching staff. And so I can't knock you completely for Shane Ray because based on the way he played at Missouri, man, he was a dude. It just – Man, sometimes you just don't, you just don't I know. Just remember, I remember watching what him during his
4: career in Denver, and I remember watching him and going, "Buck, man, this lake, this this other kid, Shaq Barrett, he looks Woo. better than him." You man, know, like that's it, not good. No,
5: nah, that that's turns that's not out good.
4: It, not just better, uh, uh, the much better, <laughs> much better than a lot of people. Man, uh, Shaq Barrett, the heck of a player. Uh, Who's really blossomed there in Tampa? So that's my miss. Can I can I make myself feel better and give you a hit here?
5: Yeah, give me a hit. Let me let me see what we're thinking.
4: I'm going to stay on the defensive line. On oh, this guy is really starting to blossom now. Um, it's a three four defensive end. Violent shed plays with a wide base. Got some shake bull to him. He's got twitch for a bigger guy. Has uh, a nasty club. Easily stacks single blocks. frees himself. Makes plays. Um, just a really good football player. And uh, I had him as a first round pick. Um, I had him a little bit higher than where he got picked, and he's really blossomed into being a good
5: player. Mm, that means he was undervalued. He's become a really solid player. Jeez, I'm I wouldn't say
4: undervalued. I mean, he's a first-round pick, and he's he's now really lived up to that. Ooh, first-round pick.
5: Not Eric Armstead, right?
4: It is Eric Armstead. Oh, look at Eric Armstead,
5: seventeen. Look at me, look at Eric,
4: Eric Armstead. I was, I was, I was an you, you Eric let me Armstead off the hook. guy. He was yeah, my fourteenth. He's my fourteenth he player.
5: You let me off the hook when you told me he was the first round because I was going through the list because I was down here at the Preston Smiths. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking at the guys in the. In the I was a in the Preston Smith round. guy. Yeah, I'm looking at Preston Smith. I'm looking. What, at what pick guys. was Preston Smith? Preston Smith was 38 overall. Washington Redskins. He was
4: my 36th player that year. 36. Hey, DJ, defensive so... Defensive end, you'll slide inside and sub, quick first step, great effort, can widen and bowl, nice counter move. Oh, I took a bite of the Preston Smith apple there.
5: Hey, DJ, okay, so here's what's funny, right? We were having a conversation about players and picks and trades and why people need to kind of be careful about going crazy over draft picks instead of dra- valuing the players. Man, let me read off some of these names of guys that were first-round picks. Okay, just so we know. <laughs> like, so, 31 for the New Orleans Saints, Stephon Anthony, linebacker from Clemson. 29, Philip yep, Dorsett. Not so much. He, look, he's played better with the New England Patriots, but he hasn't been a guy. 26, Rashad Perriman, wide receiver, Central Florida, Baltimore Oof. Ravens. Uh, 24, yeah. DJ Humphrey, tackle, Florida. 22. Just okay. Bud Dupree, linebacker, Kentucky. Twenty. Uh, Bud's Bud's playing better. He's playing better, um, but think about that: Jalen Ramsey or Bud Dupree, like that, because that's the conversation the you're Jaylen making. Ramsey. Yeah. yeah. So so now you yeah. have Cameron Irving, nineteen, to Cleveland. Um, I mean, just geez, just think about this as we're going. Trey Wayne's was eleven. To the Minnesota Vikings from Michigan State, Eric Flowers at nine, and so we can go through every draft and 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 say this: Kevin White, I mean, but injuries, we can say he played a part in that. Yeah. But when we're going, it always sounds better when we talk about the draft picks. But then when you start putting names yeah. to to those picks, you do wonder, that man. Real you just wonder, now man. man yeah. yeah. Now, now it looks now it looks a little different. And that's not even going into the second round. Those are all first round picks. So. I know we go crazy about picks, and I know for us, it would appear that we would love the prospect of drafting picks. I don't know. Sometimes I just wonder, man. Sometimes I'll have somebody else do the work for Yeah, it's a sure thing. You got a sure thing.
4: No, that's true. Uh, All right, let's get to uh, some questions here. I know Nabil's got some questions that uh, users have popped on there. What do you got?
2: All right, first one. What is your evaluation of LSU QB Joe Burrow? All the hype so far for the top quarterbacks for the 2020 draft has been with Tua and Herbert. But it could be argued that Burrow has been the QB so far this season.
4: Mm. Well, I'll tell you what. I watched him over the summer, and then I watched a couple early games. So I haven't seen the last several. I'll get a chance to uh, to catch up on those. It seems like he just keeps getting better and better. Uh, I know when I watched him early in the season, I thought he was a much better player than what I saw uh, last year. I don't think he has wow traits in terms of, of arm strength and, you know, just Um, big time tools. And I talked to a scout who was at the Utah state game, said, you know, look, Joe Burrow driving a Cadillac there with what he has and played better than Jordan Love did in that game. But you watch those guys throw and spin it. He's like, not even close. Like Jordan Love has much more talent, um, than Burrow. Burrow's a better player at this point in time. Um, I think most teams have him in that, you know, kind of borderline, uh, you know, early two, late one, kind of he's in that range. But I've seen guys that, you know, Baker Mayfield was somebody that was talked about in the exact same light um, at this point in time in the year and climbed up through the process, ended up being the first overall pick. So I think it's a work in progress there with Joe Burrow. I like what I've seen. Um, I'm anxious to see some some later tape as we go through the year to see what he's doing. I just thought he was very efficient. What I watched earlier this year, Uh, he can move around a little bit. I didn't see a big time arm. Not that that's the most important thing in the world, but uh, uh, that was my take on him.
5: No, look, I, th- I think with Joe Burr, I, th- I think the thing that has been um, eye-opening has been, man, how different this LSU offense looks. Some of that is due to his play and the way he is getting the ball out. Um, I think he looks noticeably better than he did a season ago. I think um, Joe Brady's offense has certainly kind of fit his eye when it comes to the way the ball comes out. Uh, I do believe he is surrounded by it, man. We, talk about, we talked about Tua early in the podcast, but the weapons around him, he has some explosive players, so he certainly looks Um, different than any LSU quarterback that we've seen because they're playing a different style. The trick for me will be, let's see what Joe Burrow looks like in some of these primetime games that he has coming down the line. We know he's going to play Alabama. We also know that potentially he could be in maybe the SEC championship against another team from a top team from the East. Let's see how he begins to play in these games where the expectations are are a little higher, and he feels the pressure of having to carry this offense when the opponent takes away the running game, and he doesn't have kind of the clean looks that maybe he's been getting very, very early in the season.
4: Yeah, I think we'll get a true evaluation at that point in time, which uh, uh, will be fun. He's done a nice job thus far and uh, definitely has helped himself. That's uh, that's an understatement. All right, let's uh, give a couple more here, Nabil, what we got?
2: How do you feel so far about the moves Mike Mayock and John Gruden made in the offseason?
4: Uh, I like what they've done. I think they've, they have an identity on this football team. They're going to be a physical, tough football team. And that's what they, they focused on in the offseason. I think the Antonio Brown thing was a mistake. I think they would admit as, as much that didn't end well. But when you go out and you get a Trent Brown, who's played well at right tackle, um, Josh Jacobs has added a physical element to their run game. You saw they just extended Darren Waller, their tight end. Um, he's turned out to be a really good player for them. Richie Incognito, for all the circus he brings, um, has been an upgrade for them. Um, you know, the one the one that I would keep an eye on, and, and there's a lot of right moves that I just mentioned, Foster Moreau has been a good player for them at tight end. Um, Cleveland Farrell at four was a reach by a lot of people. And to me, where I had him, I liked him, but I thought that, was, that coffee was a little bit rich at that point in time. That one might be the one that they regret in time because they could have got a real big-time impact player there. But I understand why they did what they did, Buck. They wanted somebody... Um, there was going to be a foundational piece in Mike Mayock's words, who's going to be a physical, tough leader in the room. He's all those things. And, and Mayock used, uh, you know, Chris Long as the example there. Now, Chris Long's not going to go to the Hall of Fame, but Chris Long was a key glue guy on a couple championship teams. And that's what they're hoping they get there uh, with Cleveland Farrell.
5: I think the biggest thing, uh, biggest reason why I'm encouraged by the Oakland Raiders. I do believe I see their identity when I watch them play. They are a physical 100%. football team. They're tough. They can get after it on both sides of the ball, but they are a blue collar team. And if you're not up to snuff, if you don't bring your big boy pads, you can get overrun by the Oakland Raiders. I think the moves that they made in free agency with some of the controversial players that they took on didn't work out. Uh, when they traded for Antonio Brown, we heard all the conversation about his character and the way that he acted at Pittsburgh. Didn't work out for him in Oakland. Vontez Burfik has always been a guy that has played, uh, been a habitual line stepper when it comes to the way that he plays on the field. It has cost him in Oakland because he's no longer available to the team. However, the other guys, the draft picks, They've been exactly what we expected them to be. Josh Jacobs, we knew his story. We loved his story. We thought he would be a blue-collar player because of what he was able to exhibit at Alabama. Some of the other players that they have playing for them, uh, Jonathan Abrams, in the brief time that we had a chance to see him play that opening game, he looked like he kind of fit the mold of what they wanted and what they're trying to build in that locker room. So, Right now, I'm very, very encouraged by the Oakland Raiders and what direction they're going. It'll be interesting to see what the next steps are as they begin to take some of those extra picks and continue to kind of layer the cake um, that they're building. Yeah, that
4: nicely said. Layer the cake, or you can go seven-layer dip. Either way you want to go. Cake <laughs> or dip, I think we're, uh, we're on the same page there. All right, we got time for one more. Nabil, give us one more question, and then we'll, uh, we'll get rolling here.
2: What is the best way to learn schemes? Do you have any recommendations for... Learning schemes in books or videos? Mm. Uh,
4: I'll tell you what. I'll give you one real quick here. Uh, Chris Brown has written a couple books in the Essential Smart Football. Um, you can go find it. I just looked it up online. You can find it. It's nine ninety nine. dollars 99 um, he, he sent me a copy of both of his books, and they're outstanding. Um, for somebody that's looking kind of where the trends are and and just a basic under- understanding of run schemes and some defensive stuff as well, uh, he does a great job. It's real. It's a real easy read, and it just does a real, uh, real nice job of making things simple and breaking things down. So I, I enjoyed reading those. I think you would enjoy it as well. I'd encourage you to do it if you haven't done it already, The Essential Smart Football by Chris Brown.
5: Look, I think that's a great book. There's another book that's out there called Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. I think it's written by as Sports Illustrated writer Tim Layton. I've read it. I can't remember who the author is. But Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, what it does, it takes you through all the popularized schemes uh, throughout our time uh, watching football. And so it is a great kind of behind-the-scenes look at how the game has kind of evolved to this point where we're seeing the ball thrown all over the yard. I think if you are a novice that's trying to kind of catch up to how football has become the great sport and it's kind of become the, the game that we're seeing play out today, That book is outstanding, Uh, kind of breaking down the schemes from like the Packers sweep to some of the other stuff, the West Coast offense with Bill Walsh. Uh, It just does a great job of kind of breaking it down and keeping it very, very simple for the reader.
4: You, you mentioned it. it's Tim Layden. Uh, I have not read this yet. I've heard of the book, but it's, it's described here as a modern game of football is filled with plays and formations with names like the counter trade, the wildcat, the zone blitz cover two. they become part of the sports vernacular. And yet so many fans, uh, they remain just names, often confusing ones to rectify that. Tim Layton has drilled deep into the core of the game to reveal not only how these chalkboard X's and O's really work on the field, but also where they came from and who dreamed them up. So there you go. That's uh that's a great book. I need to get that one and, uh, and check that one out. So, yeah, I hope that helped, uh, Everybody, football's back. Watch live local primetime NFL games for free all season long with the Yahoo Sports app or the official app of the NFL on your phone or tablet. Plus, get your latest breaking news, highlights, and more. Download the NFL app or the Yahoo Sports app in your app store or at nfl.com mobile today. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Uh, Buck, we've got uh, video stuff everybody can check out, nfl.com slash mtsvideo. Uh, we've got the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash nflpodcasts. I uh, do want to thank everybody for downloading and subscribing. And uh, if you can, uh, I don't do this often, but encourage it just on social media. If you can, give us a little plug there. Give us a little shout out and uh, spread the word about the pod. It's uh, it's fun, man. I'm having a good time. When we get a chance to visit with guys like Dabo Sweeney and Matt Rule, um, it's, uh, it's awesome. <laughs>
5: It, look, it's always awesome when we have a chance to, to visit with these guys. I learned so much from just having these conversations and also from our discussions. I just think, uh, man, when it comes to football, you just learn from having smarter people around you. So I'm just I'm just excited about the podcast and where we're going when it comes to bringing these people on.
4: I feel like lately we've had topics on here and, and we kind of know what we're going to do and then we get into it. And then it takes us down like another path, which I think is far more interesting than the stuff we had written down that we were going to talk about. Uh, but it is. I mean, look, I don't think we're the smartest two people in football, Buck. In fact, I know we're not the smartest two people, but I knew, I do know we're curious and we're anxious to learn and, and kick around some new ideas. And uh, I feel like, yeah, these, these, especially over the last few weeks, I feel like we've kind of stumbled upon some good conversations and, and uh, got a chance to think up new ideas and, and learn a little something.
5: Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. It's going to make for a great book one day, DJ.
4: Uh, I know. Gosh, we gotta get that, Nabil. You can, uh, if you want to write it, just throw. We our just
5: need in. a writer. We just need a writer. We just, we just need a writer that can Come compose on. it, so put you it, want it together. Volunteer. <laughs> oh, there we
4: go. All right, <laughs> that's awesome.
5: All right, thanks everybody. That's
4: gonna do it for us today, Jam Pack Show. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks.
0: Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to NFL.com slash podcasts.
4: You deserve to treat yourself.
0: Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 414 24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a straight talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.
1: You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love. Online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it any time or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands.
0: Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.
1: All-inclusive vacations make life easy
2: with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on Easy Mode at AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.
0: Introducing the first-ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander.
3: Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code Gabby2024 for 20% off your first order.